You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The DPRK's Lazarus Group exploits manage engine issues. A data breach at Crawl is traced to SIM swapping. Unusually destructive ransomware hits Cloud Nordic. The spawn of Lockbit. Polish trains are disrupted by hacktivists. Rick Howard looks at the MITRE attack framework. Our guests are Andrew Hammond and Aaron Dietrich from the International Spy Museum. And influence laundering as a long-term disinformation tactic. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Monday, August 28th, 2023. Researchers at Cisco Talos are closely following DPRK activity and say North Korea's Lazarus Group has exploited a managed engine service desk vulnerability to target an internet backbone infrastructure provider in Europe and healthcare entities in the U.S. and Europe. The threat actor used the vulnerability to deploy the recently discovered Quite Rat malware, which the researchers note has many of the same capabilities as Lazarus Group's better-known Magic Rat malware, but its file size is significantly smaller. The researchers add, This substantial difference in size is due to Lazarus Group incorporating only a handful of required QT libraries into QuiteRat, as opposed to MagicRat, in which they embedded the entire QT framework. So, a little smaller, a little more unobtrusive, but still out there actively collecting. SIM swapping is a problem for consumer fraud, but it also afflicts enterprises. Security consultancy Kroll, while serving as a claims agent in three bankruptcies, has disclosed a data breach affecting information related to bankruptcy claims by several cryptocurrency trading firms, including FTX. An attacker gained access to the data after performing a SIM-swapping attack via T-Mobile against a Kroll employee. Kroll said in a statement, Specifically, T-Mobile, without any authority from or contact with Kroll or its employee, transferred that employee's phone number to the threat actor's phone at their request. As a result, it appears the threat actor gained access to certain files 
containing personal information of bankruptcy claims in the matters of BlockFi, FTX, and Genesis. Immediate actions were taken to secure the three affected accounts. Affected individuals have been notified by email. We are cooperating with the FBI and a full investigation is underway. We have no evidence to suggest other Kroll systems or accounts were impacted. Krebs on Security warns that as a result of the breach, people who had financial ties to BlockFi, FTX, or Genesis now face increased risk of becoming targets of SIM swapping and phishing attacks themselves. So, breaches breed opportunities for social engineering. HackRead reports that Danish cloud provider Cloud Nordic was hit by a ransomware attack on August 18th that caused a complete shutdown of the company's servers and infrastructure and led to complete data loss for most of its customers. Tech Target quotes the company as saying, As we cannot and do not want to meet the financial demands of the criminal hackers for ransom, Cloud Nordic's IT team and external experts have been working hard to get an overview of the damage and what was possible to recreate. Unfortunately, it has proved impossible to recreate more data, and the majority of our customers have thus lost all data with us. This applies to everyone we have not contacted at this time. Cloud Nordic notes that while the attackers attempted to steal customer data, there is no evidence that they were successful in doing so. But the loss of data has been extensive. Kaspersky has published an updated analysis of the LockBit ransomware builder that leaked in September 2022. The leaked builder allowed many different threat actors to create their own flavors of ransomware based on LockBit. Various gangs have used their versions of the builder to develop or at least propose new ransomware strains. Over Friday night and into Saturday morning, a cyber attack halted trains near the Polish city of Szczecin. An emergency radio signal was compromised and used to stop about 20 trains. Service was restored within a matter of hours. Both freight and passenger trains were affected. The BBC reports that Poland's internal security service, ABW, is investigating the incident. There's widespread speculation that the incident was the work of Russian hacktivist auxiliaries. Evidence for that attribution is circumstantial but compelling. Polish officials note that the signals were interspersed with recordings of Russia's national anthem and a speech by President Vladimir Putin. Reuters reports that a senior Polish security official said, For the moment, we are ruling nothing out. We know that for some months there have been attempts to destabilize the Polish state. Such attempts have been undertaken by the Russian Federation in conjunction with Belarus. According to Wired, the emergency stop signal was transmitted over a legacy radio frequency system that lacks either authentication or encryption. Anyone with the right equipment can trigger an emergency stop by sending a series of three acoustic tones at the right frequency. The biggest difficulty such a hacker might face is getting physically close enough for their signal to be in range. Some have poo-pooed the notion that this is a cyber attack, but it might be useful to think of it as a very old-school kind of cyber attack. In fact, it's a throwback hack of a throwback system. Among the original hackers, before people thought of hacking or talked about cybersecurity, were the phone freaks. Starting in the late 1960s, they discovered that sending the right tone into a telephone let them make free long-distance phone calls, which back then were pricey. 
You needed a 2600 hertz tone to engage the old Bell System's long-distance service, and you could use cheap musical toys to do that. A whistle offered as a prize in boxes of Cap'n Crunch cereal did it, if you covered up the right hole before blowing. Some people can even sing that high. Or so I've been told. Finally, you've heard of money laundering, taking cash and disguising where it came from. The same kind of thing can be done with disinformation. Call it influence laundering. The New York Times describes the organization of a Russian influence campaign that concentrates on the use of front groups to cultivate Western influencers who can be counted on to disseminate and amplify the Russian government's chosen narratives. The Russian services are playing a long game. According to the Times, the newly declassified U.S. analysis looks at how Russian intelligence services, in particularly the Federal Security Service, or FSB, have been secretly using allies inside nominally independent organizations to spread propaganda and cultivate ties with rising leaders, efforts that are intended to play out over long periods of time. It's in some respects a familiar exercise in public diplomacy, but it differs from most of these in its use of front organizations and the cultivation of co-optees and what used to be called during the Cold War useful idiots. A representative front organization is a non-governmental organization, Creative Diplomacy. The organization bills itself as a public diplomacy program for aspiring leaders to facilitate dialogue with Russia. Creative Diplomacy denies any association with the Russian government. The U.S. government thinks otherwise. CNN notes that the narratives prominently feature the official Russian line on the war against Ukraine— the Ukrainians are Nazis, NATO is behind the war, Russia is defending its interests and protecting oppressed ethnic Russians, and so on. But they also extend to other areas of Russian interest, notably the ongoing civil conflict in Syria. One of the lines pushed about Syria accuses the White Helmets, a volunteer humanitarian relief organization operating in opposition-controlled Syrian territory, of trafficking in human organs and of faking chemical attacks by the Assad regime's armed forces. All of this is hooey, of course, but it's less obviously hooey if it's washed through someone who's not an employee of the FSB, or RT for that matter. It's an old tactic and goes back long before cyberspace was so much as a gleam in DARPA's eye. Coming up after the break, Rick Howard looks at the MITRE ATT&CK framework. Our guests are Andrew Hammond and Aaron Dietrich from the International Spy Museum. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. 
In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Six Sense. SixSense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With SixSense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixSense, visit SixSense.com. Washington, D.C. is known for its world-class museums, and one of my favorites is the International Spy Museum. Andrew Hammond is a historian and curator at the Spy Museum and host of their podcast, SpyCast, which is part of the N2K and CyberWire family of shows. Andrew Hammond joins me along with his producer, Aaron Dietrich. They're celebrating 600 episodes of SpyCast. So the show got its start uh, back in 2006, and I think the first host was our former executive director, uh, late executive director, Peter Ernest, who was a former CIA case officer and a bit of a CIA legend. He was Robert Gates's spokesman uh, at one point. So he ran the podcast for a while, and, and he obviously came at it from more of an operations uh, point of view. And then it seemed to transfer over to the historians. So then we had Mark Stout, one of my predecessors, a really good guy, former CIA officer, uh, analyst and, and historian. He done it for a bit. And then Vince Houghton done it for quite a while, maybe six years or so. And then like you say, I took over three years ago, three years ago at the end of this month, I think, actually. So yeah, we're we're still going strong. And I think that, that that touches on an important point. You know, obviously me and Aaron hope to be here for quite some time, but as the museum's podcast, it's not it's not our podcast. So we're just trying to do what we can to lift it up and make it better and then hand it over to somebody uh, at some point in the future to take forward again. Aaron, I have to say, you all sent over some statistics here, and this podcast has been running for 17 years. In my mind, that's about as long as it's possible for a podcast to have been running. You you all were early adopters here. Uh, did you start uh, producing the podcast when um, when you were just a child? <laughs> yes, uh, yes. When I was just, what would I have been in 2006? Seven years old. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I started producing SpyCast. No. Uh, yeah, it's actually, I mean, and, you know, I, when I came on the team, I did a bit of research on sort of the 
landscape of podcasts uh, in the United States and beyond. And really, 2006 is like prehistoric era in terms of podcasting. So it's really, it's really quite a pleasure to be working on something that's been going on for 17 years. Certainly, Andrew and I can't take credit for all of that on our own. There have been uh, three previous hosts and plenty of other folks who have contributed to the success of the podcast as well. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what you have coming up here. I mean, with, with episode 600, you're kicking off uh, a couple of months of some special guests here. You, you've got five weeks of spy chiefs. Yeah, Aaron and I have been working our socks off to get a blockbuster lineup for this coming fall. So uh, at the end of this month, episode 600 is going to be former CIA director and four-star general David Petraeus. So that's how we kick off five weeks on Spy Chiefs. And then we have, for the first time ever, a former Kenyan intelligence chief. He's going to be speaking about Kenyan intelligence. We have Ireland's Garda, their intelligence guy, top intelligence guy. He's going to be speaking. That's I think that's a first as well. We're going to have a former senior Indian intelligence officer on, so India's research and analysis wing there, CIA. He's going to come on. And then we finish off with Tish Long, who was actually the first female intelligence agency director in American history. Of course, there's been many more since then, but she was the first. So those are those five weeks. And then in October, we have five weeks looking at Israeli intelligence. So we do a deep dive into one country. So the spy chiefs is global. Then we focus in and we look at Israel. We look at the history of Israeli intelligence. We have a former Israeli national security advisor on, former Mossad officer. We have someone talking about the Yom Kippur War, which is 50 years ago, this coming October. We have someone coming on to talk about Israel's top secret ultra elite special forces, uh, Sayeret Matkal. And then finishing off, we have a former head of intelligence for the Mossad. So Aaron and I have been working on this for quite some time and we're, we're quite pleased and proud, I think, to, to be doing this. Uh, would you agree? I agree 100%. Very proud. Yeah. Andrew, you are a historian yourself, and, and I'm curious, having all of these conversations with these top people from all over the world, how has that informed your approach to the work that you do there at the Spy Museum? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think one of the amazing things about the podcast is that every week, Aaron and I get to have a, a one-to-one tutorial with somebody that really knows what the heck they're talking about. So it's a great way for us to broaden and deepen our education. And, and that affects everything else that we do, whether that be putting on exhibitions, whether that be doing other work with the youth education team. So all of these conversations inform everything that we do here. If you want to think about it, it's a way for us to constantly stay on top of ongoing professional education. We're con- we constantly have our ideas oxygenated by the outside world, by people that were historians or that were in the intelligence business and so forth. So so it informs it in all kinds of ways. And, and uh, I really, I can't think of a better way to just stay on top of the field than to host a podcast and get people in to talk about it. 
How about you, Erin? A lot of your work is behind the scenes, but what sort of things have you taken away here? Yeah, well, I'm, it's funny. I've been at the Spy Museum now for about two years. When I started here, I was in the guest services department, which I stood in the museum pretty much all day. And when I started, I, I couldn't tell you the first thing about spying or intelligence. And in fact, this is a point of contention between me and many people who work here, but I had never seen a James Bond movie before starting here at the Spy oh, Museum. Oh, for shame, for shame. I know. And the, the first one that I watched was the the newest one, No Time to Die, which is just a, a another point of contention. But so I started, I really didn't know anything. And now it's been a, almost a year of me working with Andrew on the podcast. And boy, I just feel like I have gotten a masterclass in intelligence and espionage. There's no better way to learn about it, like Andrew said, than to sit down and listen to all of these professional folks who are from so many different areas of the intelligence community, talk about their experience, talk about what happened in the past, talk about what's going to happen in the future. I feel like I'm somewhat of an expert now. <laughs> I certainly couldn't call myself an intelligence historian by any means, but you know, maybe a couple steps below that. A couple steps above the average uh, person on the street who's seen a couple James Bond movies. So yeah, it's been great. It's been really great. Sometimes I honestly feel like I'm a scuba diver in the most fascinating and also bewildering coral reef in the world. And I just get to go around and explore it. And sometimes it's where all the pretty fish live. And then other times it's where the really ugly, scary eels live. Uh, <laughs> but it's always colorful and it's always interesting. <laughs> all right. Well, Andrew Hammond and Aaron Dietrich are the uh, duo behind the SpyCast from the International Spy Museum, which, of course, is hosted right here on our CyberWire network. Uh, Andrew and Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Dave. Our thanks to Andrew Hammond and Aaron Dietrich from the International Spy Museum for joining us. You can check out SpyCast right here on the CyberWire network. It is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's chief security officer and also our chief analyst. Rick, welcome back. Hey, Dave. You know, it's hard to believe, but uh, you have just published the last episode of CSO Perspectives, your, your podcast for this season, Lucky 13. Lucky 13. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, what do you got in store for us, my friend? Well, yes, indeed, sir. Okay, uh, this season, uh, we've talked about Moneyball for Workforce Development. First principle strategies with the AWS CISO, CJ Moses, and the current state of zero trust, quantum computing, and DDoS protection. And it's appropriate that this season's last episode is a Rick the Toolman episode, because we've been doing a lot of these kinds of episodes in 2023, basically explaining the tools that best help security leaders pursue their chosen first principle strategies. For this last episode of the season, we're taking a look at a couple of tools and one best practice guide designed to make the MITRE ATT&CK framework more useful to the average security operations center. You know, I, I know you are a big fan of the MITRE ATT&CK framework. In fact, I want to say the very first conversation you and I ever had uh, at RSA, you were back I know at, where at this Palo is going. Alto. Yeah. You were at Palo Alto, and uh, it was the first time we met, and you told me all about the MITRE ATT&CK framework in that interview. That's my recollection. Uh, 
what prompted this discussion here, Rick? Why, why, why turn back uh, and uh, emphasize this one again? Well, in January of this year, CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, working with MITRE, released an update to their original paper called Best Practices for MITRE Attack Mapping. And they released a new tool called the Decider, which I just love, by the way, the Decider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> will, and it sounds like to- something from a, either a Despicable Me movie or uh, <laughs> something that uh, Dr. Doofenshmirtz would make. <laughs> I'm the Decider. <laughs> the Decider, yeah. <laughs> so the tool is supposed to help uh, analysts map incoming cyber intelligence reports to MITRE ATT&CK. So what does that exactly mean when we when we say that we're mapping to the to uh, to the MITRE attack? What is that? Yeah, so you you may have noticed that you report the news every day that as a community we have no shortage of cyber threat intelligence reports to read through on any particular day from security vendors seeking to make a name for themselves, from government agencies like the FBI and CISA trying to share actionable intelligence to the infosec community. And, you know, from our own internal intelligence teams trying to make sense of their own collected telemetry. When SOC analysts transform that raw intelligence into something useful, something where they can later design and deploy countermeasures designed to defeat known adversary behavior, the first step of that process is mapping that raw intelligence to the intrusion kill chain using the MITRE ATT&CK framework as a guide. So for this episode, we walk through the CISA best practices white paper and talk about how to use the MITRE tool, the decider, uh, in that kind of work. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. That is part of CSO Perspectives. That is part of CyberWire Pro, which you can find on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people, 
we make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.